Well, it is great to be with you this morning. About um, eight or even 12 years ago, I was on our conference committee for new church development when Steve Ustry came and y'all were in a building program and he said we need a an infusion of energy right now and so we gave uh, another grant toward the church and uh, really encouraged Stephen that day and so I'm glad to be able to see what those seeds long ago led to today not just a building but more that more than that the people your joy is contagious this morning as I entered the the uh, entranceway and the gathering area. It was very warm and inviting. I want to applaud you for that and the, the way you receive people. I want to applaud you for this wonderful children's area behind this stage and the safe check-in that you have and the comfort and assurance you give parents who bring their children and entrust them to you during this time. And then putting on something like Return to Bethlehem when we're coming out of a pandemic and people are slow to come back, I think it's a great way to usher people back in in a safe environment, talk to them about Jesus, the core of our message, and help them to see your church as people like themselves that are normal and seeking and uh, that are broken and being healed by the love of Jesus. This is wonderful and I applaud you for it. And you've got a great team leading worship. I enjoyed your guest worship leader, and you've got good musicians. It's obvious they've practiced together. They have a good sound, and you've got very capable technicians in your booth managing sound and PowerPoint. It was almost seamless, and I go to a lot of churches, small, big, and otherwise, and uh, uh, this has been a, a really good morning to be with you today. I want to thank your church about uh, a month ago my office hosted a Fresh Expressions of Church Vision Day here, and we had about 45 people come and learn about how to start Fresh Expressions of the Church out in the community to gather where people are, whether that's uh, restaurants or coffee houses or schools or parks, whatever, and start a Fresh Expression of Church that's a sort of like church light to introduce people to Jesus and help them to get to know us, then we can invite them onto our campus. We're finding that's really important, that we connect with people in our neighborhoods, and uh, they get to know us as people first, and we gather with them, and once they trust us, then we invite them into worship, because for so many people, this is foreign to them. They don't know. They're intimidated. Their impression of churches is that they'll get judged, or that something will happen, and they'll be embarrassed because they didn't know what to do. So they need to have a relationship with you first, then you invite them to come inside here with you. And Jonathan and your staff and your volunteers were great that day, welcoming us and having refreshments and providing lunch. And the tables were set up in the round tables around the room. It was a great environment for people to learn about fresh expressions. And the majority of the people there that day were lay people that were learning how to minister out in the community. You are very blessed to have Jonathan Anderson Back in 2008, I was preaching the Salem Camp Meeting in Conyers, Georgia, and got to see Jonathan in action as a leader emerging there, and I've looked forward to seeing him grow in ministry and serve in our churches. So thank you for his, your support of him and his young family, and uh, just continue to love on him and care for him, because this is one of the hardest times in all of the church to be a pastor. It's hard to make decisions and to, to keep people on the same page right now. So really pray for and support your pastor and staff during this time. I want to talk about joy because it's what people come to the church looking for. It's what all of us will look for right now. I love these themes you have as, again, we're coming out of this pandemic. We need hope. 
and hope comes from our faith, and hope is contagious. We need peace because we turn on the TV, and that's not what we see. And when we read our news flow in our email, that's not what we're reading. So we need to be reminded of God's peace and that this world is in God's hands. And we need joy, contagious joy, like you give through Return to Bethlehem and the way you welcome people to worship. Joy is contagious. It's said that the banner over the church, the flag of the church, is the banner of joy. And we're saying to the world that if you need joy, this inner peace, this inner gladness like the shepherds experience, come here and we'll share that joy. So every time you're with somebody else uh, in the community or your fellow church members or family, share something you're joyous about. Share something that you can celebrate about your church and about the faith because people are hungry for that type of joy in this world. That wonderful joy. Let's look at our scripture this morning. It's Psalm 28, verses 6 and 7. These two phrases tell us a lot about joy this morning. Praise the Lord, for he has heard my cry for mercy. And this is David speaking. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my strength and shield. I trust him with all of my heart. He helps me, and my heart is filled with joy. I burst out in songs of thanksgiving. And leave that scripture on the screen for a moment as we talk about it. It's believed that David wrote this when he was living in a cave. He is hiding from Saul, the king who has said he's going to come after him. Saul feels threatened by David. People are beginning to come to David, soldiers, to form a band around him. And they want a new day in Israel, but it's not that time yet. And so Saul is seeking to kill David to get him out of the way. And David is afraid. He's asking for mercy, for God's guidance. So in this cave, he pours out his heart to God. And notice that he says, I trust him with all of my heart. I trust him. Faith is built on trust. And he fills me with joy. And the Greek word used in the New Testament there is the same word of leaping for joy. As Jonathan talked about earlier when Mary went to spend time with her aunt Elizabeth. And Elizabeth was with child in her olden years. And she was carrying John the Baptist who would be the messenger, the herald that came before Jesus. The baby John leaped in the mother's womb when Mary came and he recognized somehow the very presence of his cousin Jesus, who he already knew from the heavenly places would be the promised Messiah, King of kings and Lord of lords. That was a wonderful moment. I hope you've watched some of this, this wonderful series called The Chosen where uh, it's, it's a new depiction of Jesus' life. And you can look on the internet under Chosen and download the app watch these wonderful episodes about the life of Jesus. And one of my favorite is when Nicodemus is talking to John the Baptist. He's been arrested by the Romans. He's in a prison behind a makeshift wooden uh, latchet of, of bars. And John the Baptist, he's asking him about miracles. And he tells him about miracles he's seen. Water turned into wine. The demons removed from a woman who had been possessed by them. And then a man who had been uh, paralyzed since birth was given the ability to walk by this stranger from Nazareth they called Jesus. And all of a sudden you see John the Baptist light up and he leaps for joy for the time has come. And Jesus, his cousin, is starting his ministry. And Messiah will go forth and the kingdom of God will come upon the earth. And it's a wonderful thing. Also in the Greek language, 
when sheep get to springtime, this same word is used for joy, that they leap for joy. They go out into the new fields and the flowers are blooming and the sun is warmer and they've just been, begin to grow their, their new crop of, of wool on their body and they're so excited and the sheep leap in the field for joy. This is what happens to us when we're in the presence of Christ. When we begin our day by opening scripture, by praying, the joy of the Lord fills us. It's something the world cannot take away. So many times we look for joy in those temporal places, a business success, a new relationship, an award, an achievement, a new dress, a new tie maybe, a big chocolate bar. We look for joy in all kind of temporal, earthly places. But what we're really looking for, that's happiness. And happiness and those type of emotions are temporal. They don't last. The world can break them. They can take them away. But joy, Scripture tells us, is an inner experience. I love the definition that I found about joy. It goes like this. It is consistent emotion evoked by well-being. It's what we call gladness or delight. Gladness or delight. See, the things I talked about earlier are, were joy based on earthly things, things we create. But joy that is permanent and long-lasting and deeply rooted in us is based in relationship, walking with Christ, realizing that God knows us and loves us, that he has called us by name, just like the song said, he knows every star by name. Well, if God knows the stars, he certainly knows the human beings, those that are a little less than the angels. And he knows us by name and he has a purpose for your life. My greatest passion in ministry is seeing someone accept that, to walk with Christ and to realize they have a purpose. Their life can be significant and can bless other people. And that gives us a confidence that God knows us, that he is with us, and that we are not alone. That's why you can find joy even in a prison. You can find joy in a hospital room where someone is struggling with cancer. You can find joy from, with a parent whose child is being rebellious or has run away because they have a, this strong relationship with Christ and this confidence in who they are because of who God is. Joy unspeakable as we sung about this morning. It is joy. In Luke chapter 2, he begins this and he, he talks about the coming of Christ and the angels coming to the shepherds in the field and they are just ten thousands of angels but the message is this go into Bethlehem and find the child and these shepherds have nothing to lose and so they drop everything they're doing and they go into Bethlehem with exceeding joy I like the way Luke begins in, with a universal perspective. He talks about the taxation by Caesar, the most powerful man in the world. And by the end of the story, he is focused on a little baby, humble, lying in a manger, the hope of the world. He talks about the majesty of Rome and all the soldiers and all the power of Rome. But the story by the end of the chapter is about Bethlehem, an obscure village where Jesus is born. And within 200 years, Rome will have fallen, but the church would have spread all across the Mediterranean world. In that story, he mentions 
every group of people in the region. He talks about those that are Jews and Syrians and Nazarenes and Romans. In other words, there's a worldwide perspective here that Jesus has come for his family, for his nation, for shepherds that are forgotten and put down, for wise men from cultures far and wide, and his message will go out in the same way. Exceeding joy, what does that look like? Where are you seeing joy around our community? in the place where you work, in your family, where are you seeing joy? Maybe you're seeing that because someone in your family recently graduated. They've been working their way through college, and right here in the middle of the year, they finish their studies. A year ago, my son finished his master's degree. When he came out of college, he became a youth minister and was exploring, was that his calling for life? And he did it for five years, and then he realized he needed to focus on counseling, being a Christian counselor, and being with those that are mentally in anguish. And so he went off to school and he had to go up to Kentucky to get this master's degree. And last December, he finished it. And I remember the joy we had, not only because I wouldn't have to support him any longer, but more than that, that he had reached this wonderful goal. And he was so excited about getting started. And now he's thriving as a counselor in Decatur, Georgia. And just really making a significant difference. He, he has more clients than he can cover, and it's a wonderful time in his life. Maybe it's the decorations. You know, of all Christmases, this year I needed to see decorations. It's, it's been good as I go around to churches. Our churches are emerging more now. People are coming back and getting more back into a full schedule of being the church, especially in this Advent season. And the decorations have been wonderful. I live in a community uh, right in between Douglasville and Fairburn, and it seems like this year more people have decorated their homes. So last night I got out with my wife and her two sisters and her brother, and we drove through and saw the decorations, and people are more into it. I think people are more hopeful. They're more at peace. The joy is contagious. Maybe you have seen exceeding joy in your first child being born or your first grandchild, or your first niece or nephew. Oh, I knew what it's like back in 2015. My daughter gave us our first grandchild. I drove to Savannah, Georgia, where my son-in-law is, was stationed at the time in special forces, and we went to the hospital. My daughter was in labor pains. It was 11 p.m., and I thought within an hour or two she'd give birth. Well, at 3 a.m., we're still in the waiting room. And the chairs are hard, and I keep falling to sleep. And my wife says, stay awake. You know, your, your daughter's giving birth. Think about what she's going through. And I said, well, it's easier just to go to sleep. And so finally, she hadn't given birth by 5.30 a.m., so we decided to go to our hotel room and just wait. And about the time we got our head on the pillow and I was going to sleep, my phone rang. And it was my son-in-law. You now have a baby granddaughter. And I said, well, how is my daughter? Doing? Oh, she's fine. Everything's fine here. We're, it's wonderful. And I said, okay, I'm going back to sleep. But then the next, about two or three hours later, we went to the hospital. And I went in that room. And he handed me my first grandchild. And, you know, there was joy when my children were born. But there's something special about holding a grandchild. Something the world can't give us. Something we can't create for ourselves. It's a gift from God. Another generation that reminds me of my precious children 
and that God's life, his gift of life, goes on among us. Maybe it's a renewed friendship. You know, I was in Alabama for six years, and it was a real mission territory for me. I was raised in Alabama, in Birmingham, and stayed there through age 22, then came to Atlanta and never went back. I married a a girl from Atlanta, so we stayed here, but then I got a call to direct new church development over there, and went over there for six years, and it was just very different very different than what I was used to. And we were a longer distance from our children and my wife's family. And then I got this call to come back to Georgia and do the same work and to work among people I'd served with for 34 years. And it's been wonderful to renew those friendships. And you know, that's not something you can create or force or or maintain. It's, It's a gift, the gift of friendship and community that we have that type of joy that comes to us. You see, Christian joy is rooted in the soul. It's an overflow of the Holy Spirit work within us. So how do we, how do we nurture that? Well, every day begin with the Word of God. One scripture or one parable or one chapter. Be in God's Word because that's where He gives us that joy, that reminder. Study the Word with others and then share it. There's something about sharing God's Word like you will do tonight in Return to Bethlehem. There's something about sharing a story. And you can do it through sending someone a card or an email or a post on Facebook. But best of all is building a relationship with someone and then saying, this is a scripture that has changed my life. Changed my life. The joy of the Lord is my strength, the Word of God tells us. And how do we share that with others? I remember in my community when we lived in Woodstock, Georgia, there was one house on the end of one of the streets that we would pass almost every day as I came home from work or picking up my children at school. And every year on Thanksgiving weekend, they would decorate their yard and their front porch. And one thing they put out was three letters on their front yard, and it would spell joy, a huge J-O-Y, and they put a spotlight on it, and it was sort of like it heralded the season for everybody coming in that neighborhood. You had to pass that, and joy to the world it reminded you of every time in those days leading up to Christmas. Well, one year, I noticed that the yard at that house was beginning to look neglected, The bushes had grown up. The leaves hadn't been raked. There was lights out on the front porch. And they had put up joy, but about a week afterward, the jay had fallen over. And we'd walk in, oi, oi, oi. And, you know, the teenagers in the community began to make jokes about it. But my wife and I wondered, why haven't they set it back up? Why are they neglecting their yard? Why is that light out in the ceiling of their porch and not been replaced. This isn't like them. And I had seen this couple at our church. They weren't members, but they would come for special events, especially during December, and I hadn't seen them. So we decided to go see them. My wife makes banana bread during um, Christmas leading up to them. She takes it to a lot of our neighbors and to her family. So we took a loaf of banana bread and went to their door, and the husband came to the door and He said, thank you for the bread. And we said, we just wanted to see you and see how you're doing. Hadn't seen you around. Um, How are you and your wife? And he said, well, my wife was diagnosed with cancer five months ago. She's been going through weekly treatments of chemotherapy, and it's really knocked her down. And I've had to maintain not only my job, but do the laundry and cook the meals and get our children places. And I'm just worn out. And it was good for us to visit with him. 
And we began to think of ways to support them and get the neighborhood rallied around them. And then I said, you know, I guess you've noticed that the J fell over. He goes, yes, I see that. And I just, by the time I come inside and take care of things here, I just don't care about going back outside and fixing it. I said, is it okay that I put it back up for you? He said, sure. So I put it up and made sure it was secure. And every time I would go by, I was reminded of him. But sometimes people need a reminder of joy. They need to be propped up to get back in that relationship with God and with their neighbors and to realize that they are important. It was good to see people respond to this family. And one family even agreed to come in and paint the doors of their garage that were beginning to rot from neglect. It was a good season for them. And she did recover. And by the next Christmas, they were back to their normal routine. But sometimes our joy has to be restored. And maybe we even have to ask. We have to ask our pastor for help or a counselor or one of our friends and just say, you know, I'm having a hard time finding joy or holding on. Help me do that. And sometimes that comes to us at unusual seasons in life. I remember my parents often talking about when they met in 1947. My dad was home from World War II where he'd been in the Navy. My mother was graduating from high school. My dad's best friend, who was, it was in the Army, took him to a drugstore in Birmingham, Alabama, and they were sitting at the counter ordering um, sodas. And these girls came in from the high school, and they, one of them was his cousin, my dad's friend's cousin. And that was my mom, and he introduced my mom to my dad, and they decided to go out the next Friday night to a dance at what was called Cascade Plunge, which was this big dance hall in Birmingham. And so they went and danced, and they began to really like each other. They kept dating and dancing together, and eventually they got engaged, and they set a time the next October to get married. And they were married in this huge wedding, and after the wedding, there was dancing and celebrating and so forth. And then they were married eight years before my older brother was born. And then I was born three years later, then five years later, my younger brother. And sometime during that period, my dad's business took off, and mother's obligation. She was the organist at the church and she had three boys and they were raising these three boys doing well by us. They stopped dancing. And my brother, older brother and I often said, you know, it seems that mom and dad, you know, they do love each other. They're committed to each other, but they really just don't enjoy each other. They don't go out and do things with each other. And I began to worry when I was going off to college, 18 years of age and headed to college to live in the dorm what will come of mom and dad? Will they stick together? Will they renew the flame? You know, what will happen to our parents? And my brother and I were sort of just at a loss of knowing what would occur. Well, I went off to college and several months later, a good friend in the church invited my parents to come to Cascade Plunge and join their dance club. Well, my parents decided to accept it and they went on a Saturday night, the Talisman Club, and they danced all night together, and at midnight, they, they finally stopped, and a group of couples went to Shoney's for midnight breakfast. They got home about 2.30 a.m., and they still got to Sunday school the next day at 9.30. And I noticed my parents, they started doing this two Saturday nights a month, and they became weird. <laughs> I mean, the idea of grown adults in their 60s staying up till midnight and then going to Shoney's not in bed till 2.30 a.m. And they started holding hands together and kissing in front of my children. 
That is later when my children were born after I was married. And I wondered about them, you know, and I realized the dance had brought them together. One Christmas Eve, we were at my parents' home and mom was cooking for the three boys and our families. And uh, they crossed paths in the den in front of the Christmas tree. And my dad grabbed my mother and he twirled her in front of the tree. And they both giggled. And I looked at my older brother and I said, who are these people? to dance. You know, dance is described as a joy shared between two people who find a way to live into the rhythm together, to follow one another's footsteps, and to enjoy life together. Dance is not always on a dance floor. Sometimes dancing is hiking together or walking or cleaning a house together or something two good friends do or a brother and sister, a husband and wife, a parent and child, a grandparent and a child, learning to dance through life together. The shepherds danced into Bethlehem, I believe. They ran with joy. They found the baby. They were full of exceeding joy. And we know that story because they must have gone and shared it with each other, with other people. And the more they shared it, the deeper the joy was within them. May your joy be full. May you dance daily with your Lord and God. May you dance one another on the floor of faith. May you know the dance. And the more you share it with others, this wonderful news of this Savior, may your joy increase. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we thank you that we can leap for joy even in the worst of times because Christ has come and been born among us. We praise you, O Lord, for this gift, and we ask that you show us ways this very day and through this week to share that joy and for it to grow in us. In the name of Christ, amen.